Gen X Playback, episode number 14. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you... And welcome back to the Gen X Playback show. It is the show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we want to welcome you to episode number 14. And this is actually going to be our first episode in 2023 by the time we air this particular episode. So... The first six months out of the way. I know I mentioned that in in our last episode that uh, thanking everybody for the last six months and staying with with this and we've kind of grown our little our little community as we like to call it and um, so it's it's fun to see uh, we're actually turning over a calendar year so we're, we're in 2023 now. Yeah, the, the, the High Brothers here. We uh, we have tenacity. We uh, we're going to keep working at this thing till uh, either we get it right or grow it or whatever but yeah <laughs> well as as i i think i said to my oldest son one time and he brings this up a lot yeah is uh he wanted to quit something and my, I, my I, saying that i came up with you know uh, you know you're you're a high quitting i said hey 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 i said the highs we're not quitters we may be a bunch of losers but we're not quitters that's right so we're not going to quit on this on this particular podcast is we are now the largest podcast in Nestville, Pennsylvania. Whether whether it's true or not, oh, we, it's we, true. we've absolutely laid claim to it, uh, much like our, our dad's tire store back in the 1970s. So um, time to give a little bit of a shout out. Uh, we want to uh, recognize, like we said, last week it was uh, Ireland. Uh-huh. So I figure we go into the United States this time. Uh, this particular address has popped up. It's been a pretty faithful listener from day one. So I want to uh, give a shout out to Dover, New Hampshire. Okay. Which is uh, New Hampshire being my wife Amy's uh, native state. She was born there. And uh, as the joke in as being from Lancaster County, we have a lot of listeners from Pennsylvania and Lancaster County. And how you have to play the, uh, you know, who you're related to game. So I, whenever somebody uh, hears that my wife is from New Hampshire, and I say, well, yeah, it's because I was related to everybody else. I had to marry somebody from outside of, the, of uh, Lancaster County. So there you go. Dover, New Hampshire, thank you for listening. And, uh, you know, we, we like the fact that you've been with us pretty much from the start. So, all right, let's get to it. So, Sean, um, this week is your is your topic. It is. It is. So, you know, Scott said that we're, you know, we're starting the new year. So we're just coming out of the Christmas season. The uh, and you know Christmas is always kind of a a nice time, uh, you know, to get gifts, especially when you're a kid. And you know, I decided it'd be fun to reach back into uh, to our childhood, the '70s, the '80s, and and into the '90s. You know, when when you know, like Scott has talked about that he his kids were born in the '90s, and you know, maybe some gifts that were given at that time. So what we're going to talk about are toys, and eh, you know. Uh, you know, well, we're not going to be super strict with it. If you want to throw some games in there, Scott, that's fine. Uh, but kind of, you know, things that that as kids that, you know, toys that either you or I had, uh, maybe it's toys that we wanted, you know, friends of ours had, relatives had, or even just popular toys, you know, at the time. It could have been kind of good commercials that were out there, but part of the pop culture because there are some toys i think i bet we're, we're both going to hit on it there's a couple toys that were very prevalent in the pop culture so that's today's topic and i'll have you start off with kind of running down your list so we'll do our typical 
kind of top 10 list that we do and at some honorable mentions and see how many that you and I have kind of in common. So let's just start okay. with your list. Well, I'll go back to probably when I was the youngest. So we're, let's go back to the 70s. Some of the toys that I really enjoyed that I played with when I was, you know, zero to 10 that, that I can remember. Uh, for me, the first thing that comes to mind are my Matchbox toys. Okay. And uh, I even remember the first Matchbox toy that I ever got. And it was a little replica. Um, it was from the TV show Emergency. Mm-hmm. It was a little truck that had the, to- the boxes on the back that they drove on the TV show. That was the first uh, Matchbox car that I, that I ever got. You know, I didn't have hundreds of Matchbox cars. I probably had a couple dozen because you had that little blue case. I had that little blue case that I carried everywhere. And um, one of the things that mom and dad had for us out in the backyard was dad made this big giant sandbox out of railroad ties. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you know, we get a fresh pile of sand in or over time, the sand would kind of, you know, go away. And as I'm digging around or playing in the sandbox, I would discover a matchbox toy that maybe I misplaced a year before. So it's kind of like finding one all over again, but that was my that was probably my my number one go to toy as a little kid was my Matchbox toy because I could bring them inside or outside. So why Matchbox toys over Hot Wheels? Because you know that's the debate. I mean, I, I know we're going to have listeners out there that were one hundred percent Hot Wheels. I found that the Matchbox toys rolled better. They were, uh, you know, like when you when you put them on the on the floor in the kitchen, and and you and you pushed them. The Matchbox cars always seem to go further than the Hot Wheels. Because I did have some Hot Wheels cars. But the Matchbox toys seemed to... I, I felt that they were a higher performance, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, miniature toy. So that's why that's why I, cho- that's why I prefer well, Matchbox. I, I didn't have many. I mean, I had a few. Uh, I, I do remember being on the kitchen floor doing a lot of uh, demolition derbies. Okay. So that was... You know, I probably was destroying your toys at the time. But we would race them into each other and smash them up it probably had to do with like you know we watched an episode of happy days where they might have had the smash up oh, derby i mean absolutely these these uh were not pristine no. toys these if, if you do you still have any of those yeah i still have the i still have the little blue box believe it or not all right is it are they like is paint chipped and like oh yeah you know that you have i remember i remember we being with you finding them in the sandbox yeah uh, no i still i still have them they're still in that little blue holder. Yeah. And they are for, I guess, the next time I ever get a grandson. I don't know if a granddaughter is going to play play with them. The, the boys did. Uh, you know, Gavin and Connor played with them. No one wasn't interested in, in those. But they got some use uh, with the kids as as we had children. So, but uh, Matchbox toys were, were definitely a favorite of mine. So, I liked cars. Yeah, and, you know, and that's the thing. I think you and I are very similar in when, as we talk about the toys, the ones that we had, you and I used them. You know, we there's a lot of people that were collectors that would, you know, keep them in the packaging that today they're probably worth a lot. But when we got something, we probably used it, used them till they broke. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, well, yeah. You know, so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of the... Uh, you know, even if it came to like, like you know, baseball cards and things like that, you know, we were, they were in our pockets. They, you know, our favorite players, we weren't going to put them off to the side. As a result, the things that we had are of no value today. Well, my son-in-law, Aaron, uh, I guess recently has started to sell baseball cards online for, for profit. Okay. And he asked me, he's like, do you have any old baseball cards? I said, well, I do. 
You're not going to want them. But they're not in good shape. Right. You know, because you're right. I mean, I, I had them with me. I put rubber bands around them, which is like a big no-no. You don't do that. So, you know, you're supposed to put them in the plastic. And then if it's even more valuable, you have the hard plastic. And we learned all that stuff uh, when we were in our, when I was in my 20s, not when I was in, you know, eight years old when I was buying all these cards. So. And the same thing kind of applies to, to the Matchbox uh, cars and the Hot Wheel cars. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I was looking online with things and they definitely are, you know, pristine examples of what was out there, but that's not your collection well yeah and i and i think a little bit of it has to do with growing up in a in a middle class family where we really didn't have the luxury of keeping things in boxes when we got when we got the toys we played with them i mean because that it wasn't you you actually in many cases we begged for you know toys or whatever for christmas or our birthdays so when when you got them you were excited you wanted to use it and 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 play with them so that was that was part of it you know is 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 getting to use them this the the other toy that i was going to mention from when we were younger were our big wheels and we beat the we beat the tar out of those things now Um, do you you have like a rank do you have like a list that were were the like a top 10 because the reason i say that is you know the big wheels do appear in my top 10 sure I, you know, I didn't really do a top okay, 10. Okay, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, if you if you wanted to do a top 10, I just I just wrote down some things that we had that I that I remembered, that I enjoyed, like I had gotten the game Hungry Hungry Hippos. Well, uh, all right, well, let's do, do the big wheels. All right, so... So stay, stay with that and kind of describe for people who don't remember. I mean, I, it might be hard to believe, but, you know, describe the big wheel. Big wheel was a, uh, was a riding toy that was made entirely out of plastic. And the front wheel was, uh, you know, five times bigger than the two back wheels. It was basically a trike. It was like a trike. And, and you sat down t- almost on the ground. Yeah. So it was almost like a chopper. If you're riding a motorcycle, you know, a chop- chopper, sit, you sit low and your hands are up high. That's kind of what a big, big wheel was based on. And then it had uh, the pedals were right on the big wheel. And then you could ride it and turn. And then it also had a brake on mm-hmm. the side that you could pull it and then it would stop the back tires maybe and and then you could do spin outs and burnouts yeah. and things like that so we loved it uh, we definitely you had one and i yeah. had one well we had a, a circular driveway mm-hmm. growing up and it was kind of nice because the the one side of the driveway went back towards a cemetery and it was a road that wasn't traveled very often so as a result we kind of had free reign of this thing and didn't have to worry about traffic and we would, in this big loop going around our house, ride our big wheels kind of downhill at full speed. You could get, you could pick up some speed with you it. You yeah. could, and then jam on the brake and spin around. Sometimes you'd flip. It, it, it happened already. It was known to happen. Yeah, yeah but absolutely. You, we would, we were notorious for wearing out the wheels on our yes. big wheels, and because you could, you you have the side brake. You could also kind of, you with your feet jam it and slide um it's kind of interesting because what i did was with with my uh list with the big wheels i lumped it in with pedal cars right which we also had and and the reason is because you know comparing toys from today to toys back then i don't know that kids would find as much of a thrill in these non-motorized vehicles that we had but we had, you know, the big wheels. And then we also had 
uh, tractors. Mm-hmm. We had these, and, and they were all, they were these are metal tractors. Yes. The uh, I had a John Deere tractor, and you had a Ford tractor. I had a Ford with a wagon. With a wagon, and um, we. I also had this little. Uh, it wasn't a um, a fire truck. It was the uh, the the chief's car, fire chief, the yeah. fire chief that was you know kind of this this metal body built around it, and you sat into it and pedaled it. And one of my big memories is with my tractor. My it, my tractor, of course, was John Deere Green, and there was a girl in school in like first or first grade, maybe kindergarten, first grade, who I did not like. Her name was Heather Green. And because I did not like Heather Green, I painted my tractor brown. Yes, she did. And, and destroyed any value that that thing would have had. But, you know, I, I didn't have to look at a green tractor. Well, the, the funny thing is that that Fire Chief pedal car that you had, uh, I believe I was watching the, the TV show Pawn Stars on the History Channel. Somebody brought in, if it wasn't exactly like yeah. it, it was very similar to it, but it was in perfect shape. Oh, wow. I, I think it's, I think he's bought it for like $10,000. But as, as you said... Ours had like no value to it at all because we we used it. Well, I had, there, there was a bell on it, as you remember, and it had like the string on it. And of course, you're going around with this this fire chief car. You got to ring the bell every time you're you're doing it. And I remember yanking the bell off and destroying that at one point. Uh, I think there was some paint got splattered on that one as well. Uh, you know, that's kind of the the issue that you might have with something like this is it better to have experienced the toy for what it was intended for or you know years later on say oh well now i have this valuable thing i i mean i'm glad i got a chance to play with with my toys uh because we were we i think a lot of us gen xers especially if you're in your 50s like sean and i are you know you played a lot outside you know you got kicked outside moms typically you know we we mentioned the fact that we watched a lot of television, but when we weren't watching television, most of the time we were outside. And, and you know, getting back to the big wheel, the big wheel was one step away from a bicycle. And so we may not have been old enough to ride our bikes yet. We, you could get on a big wheel and you could, you could really roll around. And our neighbors, you know, Brian and Allison Henry, they had big wheels too. And so we would, we would go all over the place in these big wheels, you know, we talk about Gen Xers, especially in the 70s. We terrorized neighborhoods. I mean, you always have these gangs of kids riding around on bicycles. And it, in our case, you if you weren't old enough to ride a bicycle, you might tag along on a big wheel. Well, and you also mentioned the fact that we we were fortunate enough to have a, a big backyard. I think, you know, our, our where we grew up was an acre. Mm-hmm. And then our neighbors also had big backyards. But we were all connected together linked together by this alley that ran behind and in between a church cemetery. And so we kind of had all this sort of uninterrupted play space that we could almost go from one yard to the next, which was almost like the length of a football field mm-hmm. and really not have to worry about cars, any kind of traffic getting hit. I mean, you could go outside in the backyard and you're, you're fine. You know, you're not going to be in harm's way or, you wouldn't didn't have to worry about playing football or something and have the football like run out bounce out onto the road. We were too far back. Right, exactly. So yeah, that that added to it. And you know, I you know, I talked about our neighbors, Brian and Allison. You know that that road that went back that I talked about with our circular driveway. It connected to their driveway right. as well. So in a way, we had these 
these big properties. And then on the other side of the Henry's was, you know, a, a house that my friend Jimmy Moore lived in. And then so like the three of us had like these connected properties that we would, you know, run our, our you know, whatever we had at the time, like I said, big wheels, or it could have been bicycles. And, and at some point it became mini bikes because there was this field that was back near the cemetery that we could ride our mini bikes through. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it definitely was nice to be able to have a, a lot of freedom to do what we did. So, okay, so big wheels. So what else do you have? So uh, uh, Matchbox, big wheel. The other one that I played with a lot was Tonka. Yeah. Tonka trucks. Sure. Real metal. Uh, played with that in the sandbox. I think you had a front loader. I had a dump truck. Mm -hmm. But we typically would go out there in the sand and just play for hours and hours with the Tonka trucks. And that really has kind of, you know, moved from one generation to the next. I know... Uh, you know, our parents' generation, they played with toys similar to that. And my kids, when they were little, they played with toys. Uh, you know, I think our, our dad actually pulled out the original Tonka trucks from when we were little. Right. And, and the boys were able to play with that. So that, that was really important to, to me when I was very young was, was the sandbox mm -hmm. and, and the Tonka trucks. And as Scott's mentioned, you know, these were metal. And, you know, I remember them rusting because mm -hmm. we would leave them outside in the rain. And, and these, while you may have had some rust, the fact that 50 years later, they're still around. You know, they, these, these weren't plastic. These were tough, uh, you know, kind of made uh, to abuse. And, and I think we did abuse them sure. in the sandbox. Yep. Uh, I, I remember getting so much sand in there that my front loader would struggle sometimes with the mechanism that you'd have to like wash it off to, you know, get the hose out just so it would start working properly. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, it, Tonka's on my list as well. And, uh, one of the most important things, and I was surprised because when I did some research and I pulled up some of the most popular toys in the seventies and eighties, the Nerf football did not come up. Really? Which really it, shocked me. It, I mean, totally on my list. I mean, the Nerf football to us, was we used ours so so often and so many times that that was like the one toy that we could get replaced immediately. Yeah, uh, you know when when one went bad, we could run out to Kmart or Nichols. Yeah, or gimbals or gimbals, and you could get another Nerf football because fortunately they were inexpensive. Yeah, they didn't cost a lot of money. You could probably get a Nerf football even today for five to ten dollars, and and they were probably a couple of bucks back then, but. Nerf football, it was something that, uh, because you and I were really, really into sports, still are, but we actually were more active in sports back back in the day. But, uh, you know, just to toss the football around or, or to get our neighbors together and play like a little pickup game, uh, you know, we wore those things out. I can't tell you how many Nerf footballs we went through in our childhood. Well, and I also put on uh, my list in addition to the Nerf football, the Nerf basketball. Mm -hmm. Because we had both, and for me, the beauty of Nerf, for those of you who don't know, it's the you know that's the kind of squishy, spongy ball that actually would bounce. So it had some some uh, firmness to it, but it was soft that allowed you to play in the house, which we did a lot. Yeah, which is what when I think of Nerf, that is what I think of. Is it this allowed us to on those rainy days or those snowy days? Or some night when we're just inside watching television, we could play a game, and and we would, and we'd we'd whip those balls at each other pretty hard. Yes, we would, and especially with the basketball, uh, we picked a spot in in between our family room and our kitchen. Mm -hmm. 
there was kind of a, a a larger walkway, you know, larger opening that you could walk. It was it wasn't completely open, but it was more than a doorway. So Sean and I picked a spot above this kind of like I used to call it like an archway area uh, above the the opening, and somehow we were able to through many years of hitting it repeatedly <laughs> with the basketball, the wood. And the paint started to wear away to the point where you could actually pinpoint a perfect circle, a, a perfect circle for like a basket. And, that's right. And so when we would, uh, you know, play inside, that's what we were aiming for. And yeah, I'm surprised mom and dad let us do that. Um, you know, that we got to the point where between that and the poor green carpet in the, <laughs> in the live, in the family room. Got worn down to all the like all the fibers in one spot were completely gone because that was right around where we used to play baseball inside the house. It is. It's also when we would use the Nerf football, we uh, we decided that we were going to have nothing but goal line stands, and <laughs> so the kitchen was the end zone. Yes, it was. and and the and the the other guy would be in the in the uh, the family room with the football rolling full force at the other guy and you had to tackle him full on tackle right at that spot you couldn't let him cross the goal line <laughs> and there was enough room to juke so you had to run over the other person now now keep in mind when when sean and i got older like when we got into our teenage years our parents got a dog brandy yeah and here we weren't being cruel because she loved it oh yeah but we would toss the ball into the corner by the front door she would grab it and then she would turn around and she would play goal line with Sean and I, <laughs> where we would actually tackle her. And she absolutely loved it. That was like her favorite game to yep. play inside. Yes, it was. So, okay. Nerf football slash basketball. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, I think I'm going to start to get into a little bit more of the technology games because when technology started to make advancements, in the late 70s, that was when I was starting to get into a little bit more sophisticated toys. So I wanted to give a shout out to Mattel Electronics because you had a handheld game. It was called Football, Mattel Electronics mm -hmm. Football. I got the Football 2. So the difference between the first Football and the Football 2 is in Football 1, you could only run. Correct. Whereas with Football 2, you could actually pass the ball. Uh, in addition, it was basically blips on a very small screen. And if you if you played it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, um, you know, that was one of my favorite Christmas presents that I ever remember receiving was that. And, and I know uh, back then a toy like that probably cost 50 bucks, which by today's standards. Money. Yeah, I mean, you're talking probably like 200 bucks yeah. by today's standards. So it wasn't a cheap it wasn't a cheap present. And. That was one of my favorite one of my favorite toys. I played that thing over and over and over again. I think mom and dad eventually got me the Mattel baseball game mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, which was did you have the baseball? I did have baseball. Yeah, um, it broke. I but I I had it. I didn't have it for very long, but I did have it because uh, you know you, you I had the Mattel football, the original one. You know, if, and when you kind of go and Google it, that's the classic one that comes up. In fact, the white one, the white one. I still have it. Do you really? Yeah, I do. It's it's uh, probably the only childhood toy I think that I still really possess, and I that was a, a Christmas present that I really you know I, I was like Ralphie with the uh, Red Rider BB gun. 
that was a present that I probably marked on my list. All I want for Christmas is that game. <laughs> well, you know, I I believe the the year was 1981 when I got the Mattel football too, and I think that for some reason that Christmas really stands out to me because I got that. I got a Philadelphia Eagles vest, mm-hmm. winter vest, which was my first Eagles memorabilia ever. Um, and I also got the Chipmunk Punk record uh, of Alvin and the Chipmunks mm-hmm. singing to current uh, rock songs, which I still have. I still have that record. And then later from the Moomals, our, our aunt and uncle got me the Davy Crockett uh, album in the same year. But I also got that football two game. I got Chipmunk Punk. I got a camera, which I took a ton of pictures with. That was uh, Kodak. It was a Kodak sure. camera. And um, so that was, you know, I guess if you want to consider that a toy, I certainly got a lot of use out of it because I took I took a lot of pictures. And um, so that was, uh, but yeah, the football two game, one of my favorite toys of all time. Well, that, that really was the original um, handheld gaming console. I mean, so everything that that you see today with your, you know, with your Game Boys and things like that, the technology started with the Mattel Sports. And I think for me, why I wanted it so badly was because you would trade at school and it was, you'd have competitions with each other. And I remember my my buddy Greg Lapp had the baseball game Mm -hmm. and it was a big deal to swap. And I remember bringing the baseball game home and playing it and, you know, he'd take it mine home for a night and you know you would do that repeatedly there was a drag racing game that i remember trading for but this was when when you go back and you look at it and it's like watching pong you know it's it's they're just blips on the screen and then after a while you could figure out how to manipulate the system where it was pretty hard not to score a touchdown mm-hmm. but at the time you know you know it, it was revolutionary and it it really opened the door for everything that was coming in the future well, it was the first time that you were starting. You could get a game that had an on-off switch to it that you could carry around in your pocket, or take it to school, or bring it home, or take it to your friend's house. It was portable, and that was kind of the evolution of gaming systems. Because for all of us Gen Xers in the '70s, if you wanted to play some kind of a video game, you had to go to an arcade, right? Maybe the roller skating rink, somewhere where they had you know, stand after stand after stand, box after box of these arcade games. That was where, and you had to pump in quarters to, sure. to play these games. Now, yeah, I mean, you paid the upfront money. Like I said, my football two game was probably about $40 at the time, but I could play it a thousand times, right? which I did. So I definitely got my money's worth out of it. And it was something like you said, I, I brought it to school. I would play against my friends at school. Uh, we would play with the Henrys, and it was uh, it had a, you know it was portable that you could take it anywhere. Mm-hmm. All you needed was batteries, right? And and you you had a game right there that you could turn off and on. You could start over, or you could you you could keep playing. Um, but that was that was that was really cool at the time. It it, it seems um, really basic now, but it was revolutionary at the time. So yep, you know it. Um I, to me, it just brings back a lot of fun memories. So, okay. So, you know, Mattel football, and uh, so what else do you have? So, I'm, I'm going to give just one more. So, I'll just go with five because to, to kind of focus on the ones that really meant the most to me, and the one, probably the fifth thing that 
I got as I was a little bit older was I was finally able to get enough money to buy my own Atari. Okay. And I had uh, the Atari, the um, the 2600, which is the, they call that the, I guess that's the second generation video game. And uh, so it was, Atari had been around for a while. And you and I had played Atari at other people's houses, mm-hmm. but we never really had that type of a game in our house. And so that was the first time I got it with my Christmas tip money from my, from my paper route. And I was able to buy it. I think I paid like ninety dollars for it. Uh, that, would, which, that, would, that would have been pushing it. Yeah, I mean it was it was quite a bit of money. I back mean, you then. were probably how old when you got? I that? would have been about eleven. Okay, so we're talking eighty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, so Atari, like I said, had been around for a while, but just the fact that I was able to get some of these newer games, I I did a little bit of research on some of my favorite Atari games. And they were made by a company called Activision, who's actually still in business today. They've they've created things like Call of Duty and you know a lot of the games currently that make billions of dollars. But back then, they were making games for Atari. They were a separate company. It was created by four guys who used to work for Atari, got mad at the owner or the president, started their own company. But the graphics were typically better than, than the Atari games. Um, you know, I had barnstorming was one of my mm-hmm. pole, pole position was my favorite game of all time. I think uh, mom and dad bought me the, the little driving attachment that had the steering wheel okay. on it. And I was able to, uh, to, to play that, but I got a lot of use out of that, out of that gaming system. Uh, and I think probably what made it even better for me was the fact that I purchased it myself. Now, some of the games that, uh, you know, if, if you brought the, original atari system it would come games right didn't it, came it come with, with like a, space invaders it came with a few it had space invaders i it, mine did come with pac-man because okay. pac-man had already been around been out for a little while and so uh i had the advantage of that because pac-man came out in 1980 atari had been around since the mid 70s and uh so so if you really were one of the first people to get an atari then you know you had to buy all your own games and and Games back then cost about what they cost now, which were anywhere from $40 to $60. So the cost of video games really hasn't changed over the years. And it, it was it was quite a bit of money back then. Now, you could go to get some of these Activision games. Like, I had Pitfall. I had... Did you have Frogger? I had Frogger. Yeah. And by the time we were... I was buying them, other gaming systems were coming out. So the prices started to come down a little bit. And you could go into... Kmart or wherever and they'd have like bins of these things and you could buy them for like 10 15 dollars a piece which is how i was able to get like barnstorming and uh you know some of those games like, like pitfall i think i had got pitfall had already been out for a number of years but i was able to get it cheap because it was was uh had been out for a while and i think too while you say that atari had been around since the mid 70s i didn't know anybody that had atari to the early 80s Right. Um, because, we, it, for, I mean, there must have been like a price drop. I mean, kind of the technology got to a point where it it suddenly became prevalent because I remember right about 1981, 82, going over to my friend's homes and playing Atari. Right. And um, I, I read about this thing. It was called a gaming war that started because uh, Atari was the, really the only home gaming system that was out there for a number of years. Well, Mattel Electronics was having some success with these handheld games like you and I had the football and the football two and the baseball game. They, they came out with something that was called Intellivision. 
And that was something our friend Kirby Martin had at his mm-hmm. house. Now, on television, was it, it was better graphics. Um, the games were a little bit more elaborate because you actually had, um, instead of having just a, a joystick to control everything, now you actually had a pad that was in front of you, and you could press different buttons on the pad to get the baseball player to do whatever, the football player to do whatever. So the graphics were better, but it was a much more expensive system. And the only time I had ever seen that was when we would go over to his house right. and, and play that game. But um, what ended up happening is, uh, you know, ColecoVision came out at the same time, and television, Atari, they basically canceled each other out. Okay. Um, and and all these companies almost went bankrupt, uh, and it kind of revolutionized or brought in companies from outside the United States, like Nintendo. Sure. That would come in a few years later with, uh, you know, with, with the Nintendo system and kind of turn the uh, gaming community up on upside down. Yeah, yeah. So no, oh, good one, good one. So, any other toys that you have? Um, you know, I not necessarily toys, but I, I thought it was important to mention because you and I have always loved music for such a long time. Uh, I remember how what a big deal it was, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but. So I'm going to say what a, how important it was for me to get my first uh, Walkman, and I didn't get this. I wasn't able to get the Sony Walkman. I was able. I got like a knockoff. Sure. But the fact that I was able to have a set of headphones and be able to put something that I could play music and put it in my pocket and carry it around, uh, you know, I was king of the world. It was I, liberating, I was, wasn't I it? I was very. I was like I was like the coolest guy at school. Because I was really in my grade, I think I was the first kid to have something like that. And my friends were, they were like, oh, ah, like, wow, you got one of the, it plays music like cassettes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, man, my name has a radio <laughs> too. Um, but that was, that was a huge deal. That, you know, we're talking like early 80s. Yeah. But that was, uh, that was super important to me. I, as you know, I was always, you know, I, I bought a boom box when I was mm-hmm. very young. And so music has always been very important to both of us. And so I, I kind of fall in love with those little trinkets. You know, you commented before we even joined on the air. We're sitting at the same table here. Yeah. And uh, Sean has a microphone on his side. I <laughs> and, have, a, and a pen and a pad. I have two computers and a mixer uh, on my side yeah. and my phone. So, uh, you know, I, I said, I might have to start bringing my own table. No, I, I have a legal pad, a pen. Uh, a glass of water and a microphone. Yeah. So uh, that that's the contrast. So Scott definitely was way more into the technology than I was. So uh, I'll kind of run down some of the things that I have because I did I did do a list, and then I did some some things that we're going to mention. So uh, you know Scott did kind of knock off. He knocked off three of my top ten. You know, right at the top. You know, he we you know number number five was was the Nerf football uh you know number four was the big wheel slash pedal cars and number three was the mattel football all right so i'll I'll go with number 10 and this is not something that i had it's something i wanted though and i i always liked those action figures so an, an action figure that was promoted heavily on television and i went back and i and i watched the cartoon again it's hilarious uh, G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. Okay. Uh, you got to get the Kung Fu grip. And it's, you know, it, the commercial starts out with, with two black belts in the middle of a field, like flipping each other. And then next thing you know, there's two two uh, guys playing with their G.I. Joe uh, action figures and flipping them over. So I, and, you know, I think Eddie Murphy makes reference to like the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. And one of, it, it was either um, 
I think he was talking in a trading places where he was talking about like, you know, they're worried about buying the, he, he says, you know, the stock's going to go a certain way. The commodity is going to go a certain way because people are worried because they, you know, they got to go buy the GI Joe, the Kung Fu grip that's for the right. kids. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, if, if it made it into the Eddie Murphy movie, it's definitely part of pop culture. Right. Uh, so that was GI Joe number nine. And I know you're going to remember this stretch Armstrong. I thought you might, uh, because you had a Stretch Armstrong. I didn't have the Stretch Armstrong. I thought you did. No, it wasn't mine. It okay. Was, it was, it was uh, our neighbor's. Okay. Well, I remember Brian had one too, but I thought we had one as well. I, I, don't, I don't think I had one. Okay. I just think that I used it. Okay. And so Stretch Armstrong was this uh, kind of action figure that was a professional wrestler. You know, wearing the, wearing the tights, doesn't have a shirt on, blonde-haired guy. And if you pull on him... You could pull his arms and his legs really, really far, right? And he was Stretch Armstrong. He was almost like the rubber man. And as I did a little research, it turns out he was filled with corn syrup. Uh, I read that, yeah. Well, we didn't need to read that, Scott. <laughs> Why? Because I took a flagpole off of the bicycle and stuck Stretch Armstrong in the yeah, stomach. Sean impaled Stretch Armstrong, <laughs> and we got to see exactly what color, Yeah, uh, you know, was coming out of poor stretch <laughs> after how old were you when that happened uh, we were young uh, we were young I, yeah. I don't know six seven eight i don't know in that range it was pretty young you know i i also read that stretch armstrong it was incredibly <laughs> popular and then just vanished yeah that it was it was always one of the best-selling toys but was only out there for like five years six years I, I, it was a great toy and then and then gone i i don't know what happened maybe there were, maybe the company went out of business i mean who knows but to a kid it's like you know stretch armstrong's everywhere and then all of a sudden it's gone yeah uh was to me kind of surprising and but for those of you kids who thought stretch armstrong was indestructible i beg to differ i think that's i think that was the whole like you the, the, yeah you can't you can't kill stretch armstrong <laughs> and you were kind of like really watch me <laughs> And, and yeah. he did. Yeah. I had a little bit of a, of a violent streak. So, all right. So it was G.I. Joe's Stretch Armstrong. Next, uh, number eight was a game that we did not have, but our cousins, the Mumals, had, and that was Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yep. Yeah, I do remember that. So we would go over to their house, uh, and they would always have their, their game section down in the basement, and that was one that I was one for right away. Yeah, and Rock'em, I, I think we asked for Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I'm not sure why Mom and Dad decided to go the hungry hungry hippo yeah way but that's what ended up happening i got that for my birthday the one year and um the way yeah they never they never did get us the the robots so how did rock'em sock'em robots work so it's kind of the same concept as hungry hungry hippos if if anybody's ever had those games but you basically uh, you have a lever in front of you you have you're controlling one plastic fighter and they, they, they look like robots. One's, I think one was blue and one was red. And then uh, you basically just, you're punching at each other until, and then you, the reason, the, how you win is you hit the other robot in the head and his head basically <laughs> goes straight up in the, you know, about three inches up in the That's air. Right. Game over. So, and then you, you basically scrunch his head back down and you start punch, <laughs> punching away again. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, they were simple games. It's not like they, and I think that's where some games today kind of hit their miss their mark, because to a kid, you're not you don't need something incredibly elaborate if, if it's easy to play. Right. 
you can you can do it over and over again. You don't have to sit there and read a manual on how to use it. You know, it's like, all right, it comes out of the box. All right, let's see. I flip this lever, and the robot's arms move. Okay, all right, I, I got it. I'm good. So I'm going to start punching the lever as hard as I can, knowing those fists are going to go faster. Right. And that's that's the concept. And, and a lot of toys that we had, some of our favorites, I mean, really, matchbox cars, you push them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's there's very little um, you know thought to how yeah. these toys actually But there work. was imagination that went into it. Sure. So, all right, use the example of the matchbox car. Yeah, you get a car... Now what do you do with it? Yes, you could get like Hot Wheels and you could go around the track and things like that. But for the most part, you had to create the uh, you know the story that you're playing out with these cars. Yeah, and and I mentioned that my first uh, Matchbox car was the uh, like the fire crew truck from Emergency. I also had a fire truck. I had a Speed Racer Matchbox car, and so I I do remember like playing where they're having a race because we would watch it on the cartoon, you know, speed would get into some kind of an accident or, you know, and racer X would fix them or whatever, but I could recreate those with my, and then I could actually have the fire trucks (laughs) arriving at the scene to put the, you know, it's just, that's, that's what we, you know, that's, that's how we played. And, um, you you could get lost doing that for hours and hours at a time. So. Right, right, and that's kind of the beauty of those things. Okay, so that's Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Now, the next one on my list is not something that I had. It's not something I wanted at all, but it was the biggest toy of the 1980s, and that would be Cabbage Patch Kids. Mm. Uh, you know, it was such a huge part of pop culture where you would always hear these stories and see them on the news where stories would run out. And then you would have near riots. Yes. That was, I think for us, that was the first toy that caused mass hysteria, you know, around Christmas time. And I do remember um, that coming a little bit later when Gavin, my oldest, was was very young. The, the toy that everybody wanted to have was Tickle Me Elmo. Sure. And that sort of caused the same type of hysteria at the stores where it's like... Yeah, you got fights that are breaking out in these toy stores because these people have to have this. I mean, it's like, really? But Cabbage Patch Dolls, that legitimately happened for a couple of years, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those things weren't cheap. They were almost 100 bucks, I think. Yeah, and I never quite got it. You know, they're these dolls. They're these kind of squishy, I don't know, kind of chubby kind of, you know, cabbage-looking dolls. And they, you know, they were the rage. They certainly didn't look like Barbie. No. Um yeah, they were they were absolutely uh, uh, a must have for for a few years. I think our I think our mom actually, and I'm not sure why she bought each of us a Cabbage Patch doll or something similar. Maybe somebody made their own Cabbage Patch doll. I think that's what it was. Oh, okay, yeah. And she's like, "Oh, I got you guys Cabbage Patch dolls." And we're like, "Why?" <laughs> I'm like, um, you know, at the time I think I was 14, which would have put you at like 17. <laughs> like uh yeah why did you why why'd you do this and i think it was because it was somebody was making them. Yeah, yeah sure but and, and then also when you consider that there was a spinoff of the uh garbage pail kids sure which came a little bit later and those were the trading cards yeah that were you know kind of mocking the cabbage the patch kids and um i think there was like there was some type of issue where they had to like n- they had to like knock it off or change how they were doing because they were like directly copying the the cabbage patch kids and then mocking them with these cards 
that uh, you know I, they've had to change it, and then they eventually came up with like a, a garbage pail kids TV show, a cartoon. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, again, that's that stuff started to come as we were a little bit older, right? right. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that uh, Cabbage Patch Kids were not ever or on my Christmas list request. No, no. <laughs> but you know, still, but it was a big deal. It yeah. Certainly was a huge deal. All right. Now, the next thing that I have on my list is, you know, probably something that you know didn't originate in the '70s, but uh, something that I always really liked were the little cap guns, and I don't. I mean, I think they still make cap guns today, but not like they used to. So, there was this this kind of Western rage for for young kids, especially when you were you know in the '60s, the '70s. Uh, so when you know when we were kids in the '70s, there was a lot of that, and they would make these very realistic guns. Uh, you know, the Lone Ranger. We we liked the Lone Ranger. I talked about the Cisco Kid uh, on another episode, and you know, even though John Wayne was a little bit before us, we knew who John Wayne was. And sure, you kind of wanted to, you know, be a, be a cowboy, and so you would get these these very these replica guns, which I found out is like in 1988, I think it was late '80s, where they changed the law where when it's a cat, when it's a kid's gun, it has to have like a red cap on it, uh, you know, over the barrel so that when you had it on public, people don't think they're real guns. Right. Cause these things were, these look like real guns. From a distance. Yeah. They look like real pistols. And you would put these, these rolls of paper, um, uh, caps in them and they would fire. Mm-hmm. It, it was always really difficult to get the rolls lined up properly to get it to feed through properly. And it had to be dry. It had to be dry. Otherwise, if it got if it got just a little a little wet, you're you're out of you know yeah. you're out of commission. Right. And so, but it was a lot of fun. You know, we talk about pretending. Well, you know, you would get your buddies in the backyard, and you know, you're shooting each other with these things. I think part of the joy was when you actually had a roll that continuously sure. made oh, it yeah. all the way through, which was rare. Yeah. Yeah. So. And just you know just. The, the smells and the sounds and it was real powder it, it, it was real powder i i don't know if they still make them today like that like like the rolls so. anymore yeah i think they've switched over to like the, you actually had caps but that was something that i know like like me and my friends in the backyard we would play with those things for hours and hours and when you and i went to uh to disney world when um what were you three at the time i was not quite three yeah uh, that was my purchase. So was, I, yeah, I don't remember much about Disney but, World. But that was my my one gift that I was allowed to purchase was I got a like a pirate rifle, uh, cap gun. So uh, among my absolute favorite toys uh, with the cap gun. So then skipping up to number two, a toy that I did not have that some of the other kids had that I wish that I had at the time, and that was the Evil Knievel stunt cycle. You know, we actually had an Evil Knievel stunt cycle, but unfortunately, it wasn't the one that everybody had. Not the not the wind up one. Not the uh... well, ours ours you could you could run it along the floor, and it would build up speed. But unfortunately, there was there were two versions. There was um, there was a smaller one, and then there was a larger one. And the smaller one could do like the smaller one could keep going. Whereas the the larger one that we ended up getting, I think we got picked it up at a garage sale. Man. But the one that I played with, uh, unfortunately, when Evil fell over, that was it. Yeah. But the the one that I think you're talking about, if it never 
stopped going until the the little motor ran. Sure, out. yeah, because you, you would you wind it up. You had it had a little ramp with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it had like a a you know you would actually turn the crank to get this thing going, and then you could have Evil Knievel, who you know was the famous stuntman at the time. I, I don't know any famous stuntman today. No, he he definitely he had a lot of pizzazz. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was a showman. He uh, was and. Uh, uh, Gen Xers, I, I'm sure you remember Evil Knievel, and he would always come up with these elaborate stunts that he was going to jump in his motorcycle, which was a Harley. Mm-hmm. And you know he's trying to jump like 16 buses with a Harley, and he would do it in red, white, and blue, wearing <laughs> a white leather suit with red, white, and blue trim with a cape. Come out with a cape, <laughs> and the the whole production and and ABC's Wide World of Sports, I think kind of cut their teeth as a show by running evil because those were like the highest rated mm-hmm. of their of their sh- of their episodes was when they would throw evil knievel out there he he jumped stuff at the houston astrodome he tried to jump the snake river canyon sure it was like uh, you know he would go out there and then but when he would wreck oh was it spectacular oh yeah uh, i remember i remember uh, watching not too long ago he tried it, it was in one of the stadiums he tried to make a jump, and he wrecked on the ramp as he's making his descent down to what mm-hmm. he was trying to jump. He never made it there. So as he's, re- you know, it shows it in super slow motion where he's like tumbling on this ramp, and you just see the motorcycle gaining on him as it's flipping over and over, and eventually the motorcycle just boom just goes right into him, and it's like, oh, that's that is a train wreck, man. I think every time we watched him jump, he got carted off in an, in an ambulance. And then he, they would always bring the microphone up to him. <laughs> Evil, how do you feel? I am never doing this again. I am through. Yeah, but he wasn't. Nope. And the Simpsons did a fantastic spoof. Yep. On on a, on an Evil Knievel type character, and uh, you know if you want to look that up sometime, uh, look it up on YouTube because it is hilarious. If you if you thought Evil Knievel was entertaining in the seventies, see what the Simpsons did in the uh, in the nineteen nineties. Be it when. Bart attempts to uh, jump Springfield Gorge in his skateboard. So he learned that by uh, being a daredevil. Mm-hmm. So, But so my number one favorite toy of all time is, you know, transition over similar uh, would be the $6 million man doll. Uh, the action figure that I got, the Steve Austin action figure with the uh, built-in bionic eye. Yes. And the, the $6 million man was, was such an incredibly popular show. And I think with, with kids, yeah, kids thought, hey, you know, he's a human and he can do all these cool things. Well, he had the injury, right? right? And then the government said, we can build him better. Right. And they spent $6 million to put all these, these bionic devices in him. So now he could run faster. He was stronger and he had, you know, a bionic eye so he could see really far. Yeah. And that's like every kid's dream because you want to be, you know, especially when you're growing up. You, you want to be bigger you want to be better you want to be older you want to you want to be all these things and here lee majors who played steve austin was was kind of putting everything out there i think it was like every every little kid's fantasy to be able to do all those things in slow motion 
Well, that's how you had to do it. And and they would have the because let's face it, if they were to show Lee Majors running in real speed, I don't think he's breaking any forty-yard dash records. I don't know, but Six Minute John was cool. It was a cool show. It was absolutely, yeah. You know, it it spawned the Bionic Woman, yeah, to come out with Lindsay Wagner later on. And unfortunately, that was that was a toy because it it got so much love. Uh, got destroyed right and um steve they, he had he had to make some like major jumps and i think he jumped off my balcony one time sure yeah it, you know if and again i said i say it again i'm so glad that we used our toys he was know? bionic right right i mean he was gonna be all right well sure uh, you know he, he got up after he <laughs> that's right made that two-story drop to the ground absolutely so okay, so that was my that was my my top ten. But then I'll throw some honorable mentions out there, and um, I'm kind of surprised. My first honorable mention that I talk about was not on Scott's list, because uh, two of his children were obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine. Sure. And I remember in the '90s, getting a lot of toys for uh, for Gavin and Connor, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas the Tank Engine. And even here in Lancaster, we have. A, a permanent store, Thomas the Tank Engine store. You know, Thomas is the uh, famous train. He's a, he's a, a tank engine. Um, I don't know. He's coal driven, right? Or is yes. He, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's British. It was, you know, it's 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 a British cartoon uh, that became kind of a rage there for a while. And Thomas the Tank Engine comes to the Strasbourg Railroad, which is very close to where we live, and you can ride on Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, Thomas was actually. Built there at Strasbourg. Okay. Yeah, they um, they built the uh, built that particular because uh, the Strasbourg Railroad is quite well known for um, doing train restorations. They fabricate new trains like they did with Thomas, and they have a they have a dedicated uh, train ride that people can come. You know, people from outside the area. We've done the train ride ourselves a, a number of times. It's really cool. I mean, it's kind of takes you back. It, it takes you through a, a part of Lancaster County that is still relatively untouched. So what we're looking at on that train ride is pretty much the same as what you may have been looking at it from 50 years ago, mm-hmm. 60 years ago. And so to do the ride with Thomas is pretty cool. And they even have uh, Sir Topham Hat. Yep. Uh, He's the conductor. Usually uh, some 20-something-year-old kid dressed up as Sir Topham Hat. But hey. The kids don't know the difference, but right. yeah, well, that was some of some of our best memories as as a young family was taking the boys to go see to go see Thomas at Strasbourg. And I remember, you know, your sons, especially Connor, he really was into collecting the different characters. You know that you know you have Toby and Scarloe, and so um, very very popular. And I still think Thomas is, is really popular. Now there was a toy that I had, and I know you're going to remember this, and I, I don't know that many people would have had this, but one year for Christmas. I got a Charlie McCarthy ventriloquism sure, doll, I remember that. and it it was, and uh, it, it wasn't like a full fledged ventriloquism doll where you put your hand in his back and had a cord in the back, but you could make the mouth go up and down. There was this famous ventriloquist uh, uh, named Edgar Bergen that I don't know when would he have been popular forties, fifties, fifties, yeah, because our mom talked about watching him on TV, and so his his puppet his was named Charlie McCarthy. And so um, I got one one year, and I remember being really into that. I even came to your your kindergarten class one time and did a little yes, performance did. one time, and I had, um, you know, my my whole act 
out there, you know, Charlie McCarthy. So, uh, you know, I remember going to like stores and you would see these ventriloquist, uh, ventriloquist dolls like lined up on the shelf. So it's something that I think was accessible to kids. You know, I, once again, I don't think it was like super expensive because it was plastic and had the cord in the back, but still, you know, it was, it was a quality toy. Yeah. And on that little, that little show that you did, you would have uh, Charlie come in on your skateboard yeah. and you had a little seat built. I did. I built a seat for him for the, uh, for the skateboard, which was also something that, that we used a lot. Um, our dad had a bicycle shop. We mentioned that before in one of our previous episodes, but at the bicycle shop, he did sell skateboards for a few years. So we actually had skateboards that we used. Um, they weren't of, you, know, you think of a skateboard today. This is definitely, you know, I, I wouldn't do too many uh, board tricks with the skateboards that we had. But, you know, they moved, they rolled. Right. Uh, that was about it. You know, they would get you from A to B, but that was, um, you know, no flips necessary on those skateboards. You'd probably break your neck. But, right. Um but yeah, you you he would uh, you would push him into the room, mm-hmm. and I I think he was like saying that he didn't want to come in. Yeah, right. is that what it was? That's, that, okay. was the, that was the act. Yep. I don't yeah. I don't want to do it. I don't. And all of a sudden, he was the, scared. He was nervous. The, the, scare, the skateboard would, vroom, would come into the room, <laughs> and I pushed him in, and yeah. I told him he had to get in there. So that, that was the act. Um, it, not necessarily. Well, it wasn't a toy, but I I thought about you know in the early eighties, Trivial Pursuit. Sure. And I, I want to give a, a shout out to our eighth grade teacher, Jay Wanger, Mr. Wanger, who was the, the person that introduced me to the game. And I remember it was, I think it was like seventh grade. And he was, the, the way our school was designed. So Scott and I went to this, this small little uh, private Christian school. And we only had four classes. That, so there were, you went to junior high school and you had two seventh grade classes and two eighth grade classes. Yep. And you would rotate. You had, we held our, our own wing of the building. And so the teachers would like trade off with the different subjects. So Mr. Wanger, I think he was teaching us math at the time. He was the math teacher. Yeah. Right? So And he came out. And I remember he was like all proud because there was this new game that was out of Canada, Trivial Pursuit. And he just loved this. So he created on the overhead projector a version of Trivial Pursuit. And we played it in class. Okay. You know, Mr. Wanger was one of those teachers that you kind of remember as like one of your favorites over oh, yeah. the years. And talk about a guy who had just the driest personality, but he had he he definitely had a spark to him. Yeah, he had a sense of humor. He actually would recruit uh, kids in his class that he knew were football fans, and he would say, "Okay, we're gonna have a we're gonna pick our first round NFL draft." So before the NFL draft would actually happen. You would get however many kids wanted to get in this pool, and then you would get to pick. You know, you would do uh, do your research, mm-hmm. do your due diligence, and then you would get to say, okay, you have X amount of selections for who you think is going to go in the first round, and you couldn't double up. You couldn't pick the same player. So um, I believe when I brought my uh, my research from my Sporting News magazine and. Uh, Mr. Wanger, who kind of talked back a little slow, and he always would refer to me as Mr. High. And, well, Mr. High, if you put this much diligence in your math homework as you did in this NFL draft, uh, I think you would be uh, doing much better in school. And, uh, but, you know, it was all in good 
Good Jess. I did win that draft, by the uh, way. And, so. uh, of course, I won my draft a couple <laughs> years before that. But anyway, yeah, Trivial Pursuit was, yeah. was um, frustrating because we have it at home and nobody wants to play it. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's... Because they are convinced they're going to lose. That's <laughs> because you're competitive <laughs> and, right. and not going to lose to them. So anyways, I wanted to put that out there kind of as a shout out to Mr. Wanger because that's that's one of them. It's a very fond memory I have from class that that day. It just I remember having so much fun and just laughing, and he had like silly questions in there. It, it was just a good time. Yeah. Uh, so some other uh, we don't have to go into detail with some of them, but some of the ones I think people might remember from when they were kids were Weebles. Mm-hmm. You know, Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Right. Uh, and we never had those, but I do remember you know playing with them when we would go other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that was really big among uh, people that were my age uh, were the Star Wars action figures. Yeah, I had that written down as well. So I didn't have any. I, I, did you have no. any of those? But I remember being at um, elementary school, mm-hmm. and you know Star Wars came out in 1977, and it just... Uh, I don't know if it was that Christmas, but the following Christmas, but they, you know, kids just came back from that, from break with, you know, tons of Star Wars toys. Yeah, and... If we didn't have the action figures, we certainly could carry on the conversation because we knew we knew who these characters were. Right. And Star Wars was was everywhere, especially uh, after the first one. The first one really captured the whole imagination uh, because it was so unlike anything else that was coming out in the movie theater at, at its time. Right. So, but yeah, that, that was definitely something that I had written down. Uh, one thing that I used that I did have wasn't my favorite toy but it was extremely popular sold um, you know millions of them was rubik's cube uh, i had that down it didn't i wasn't i wasn't a big fan of I that mean, we had one sure um i never solved it i was never good at that uh you know i the only way i solved it was i found that you could actually pull the <laughs> yeah, cube pieces yeah. out and rearrange them right that's the only way i did it so yeah you're not the secret is uh, out i am not a rocket scientist <laughs> sorry all right so uh also uh mr potato head now, I, I, I had that written down. So Mr. Potato Head was a, a game. I don't think we ever had that. I had a Mr. Potato Head. Okay. Um, can't remember playing with it much. See, I, I re- when, when our mom would go get her hair done back when we were little kids, she went over to uh, Joyce Hershey's house and to get her hair done, and she had that playroom. Right. And in the playroom was just filled with toys and games. Obviously, it was there to keep kids like us occupied where their moms are getting their hair done. And I that's where I discovered most of these toys. Like a Weebles, we never had. Mm-hmm. But I would play with the Weebles there when I was, I don't know, three, four years old. The Mr. Potato Head, I remember playing with Mr. Potato Head at uh, Mrs. Hershey's house. Right. So, you know, those are some of the games I'm going to write off. Uh, the next one I have is the Viewmaster. I had that written down as well. Once again, that's something that we never had, but she had at her house. Right. And I... We we go through that, and you know, you talk about the technology of the time. It's it's kind of funny that we were so captivated to look at these little pictures that might tell a story and like zip through it with the viewmaster. But that's what we did. Yeah, but again, with uh, matching technology with technology, slide projectors were were everywhere mm-hmm. at that time in in the late seventies, early eighties. You would get a slide presentation. Yeah, you know, now you call it PowerPoint on your computer, but it's essentially the same concept. 
you would just you would uh, go from one picture to the next if you're if you're doing a presentation. As a little kid, the ViewMaster, you could you could look at pictures in the same way, or you could also uh, some of those ViewMasters had records with them, and you could mm-hmm. actually follow a story, and you could. Uh, instead of having a picture book in front of you, now you're listening to the story and following the Viewmaster at the same time. Right, right. Uh, another thing that uh, was a popular toy a little bit later for us, uh, it, it happened, you know, I, I don't think we would have gotten this anyways, but another toy similar to the Cabbage Patch Kids would have been Teddy Ruxpin. Sure, okay. Yeah, yeah. and Teddy, um, it's funny that you The talking that. bear, Teddy yeah. Ruxpin. Because on uh, Sirius XM on the 80s on 8, they kind of mockingly, mockingly bring back Teddy Ruxpin, okay. where they'll ask him like a current question, and then they pull the string, and it, you know the music starts, I like playing with friends. You know, It's just like mm-hmm. some random answer that has nothing to do with the question. But uh, Teddy Ruxpin, sure. Yeah, that was, that was extremely popular. And again, it was an, it was an advancement in technology at that time. That where there was nothing out like it at that particular moment. Sure, because just a few years earlier, you don't have a talking doll. I mean, it, it's you, you have a uh, you know a stationary, lifeless doll that you're going to have to bring to life yourself. And here you had Teddy, and I guess I mean we didn't have one, but I think if I remember right from the commercials, you know you you push something and then Teddy would sing, or there'd be some music, and he might tell a story. I you know yeah, you could put a cassette tape in him, and he could tell you a story. Yeah. Um, so it had some different, different as you know, different things that it could do. You could, you could pull a string and he would give the standard because there were wind up toys before where you pull a string and it would you know, like Woody from toy story. Yeah. You know, that's similar, you know, they've been around for decades at, at that point, but to actually put a cassette tape into a, a stuffed animal and to have it talk was revolutionary at the time. Now a, a toy that, you know, I think they, I, I imagine they're still, around um that you have for real little kids and that was the farmer says see and say (laughs) (laughs) you know what um gavin had one yeah and you you point the arrow and you you pull you 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 put the lever down and it says the cow goes yeah yeah uh they still make them yeah yeah Kids are fascinated sure. with that stuff absolutely uh i don't think that i don't think a toy like that will ever get old yeah because and it's and that you know I, I i but i remember sitting there and i and just playing with that for hours and hours when i was a little kid and it's you know it's kind of tricking you into an educational toy i think a lot of what we talked about i mean you wouldn't say is technically educational um but i think you i think it's a lost art to to use your imagination sure so i think that is part of learning and that's something that probably isn't developed as much as as it was but here was definitely an educational toy right uh you know sort of element uh you know educational we um we've already admitted the fact that we did not watch sesame street no. uh, we did not we were not in favor of that so the uh the hillbilly high boys they uh <laughs> yeah the, <laughs> the the see and say or whatever yeah was uh, was our was our educational toy back in the 70s yeah exactly so yeah that was that was as far as we went with yeah. it yeah you know m- maybe an etch a sketch for you know get a little art in there but um <laughs> Another thing, you know, we I talked about the Star Wars, you know, toys and, you know, one that kind of came back to mind. And, and I remember one kid at school, you know, um, had this, uh, 
was the uh, the Kiss action figures. Really? You remember when when they had like well, sh- yeah, Kiss? Yes, I remember. So when we went to Bay- we were still going to Mainham Township at the time. Okay. And I remember it. it the, I still remember the commercial. It was like Kiss. That's the name. Uh, Kiss. That's the game. They made you know look insane. Kiss and um, they were trying to market themselves to to younger. Uh, listeners it was probably when the i mean it was like the height of the popularity they they were you know they had comic books and they were but yes they were definitely pushing it towards younger a younger audience yeah and you know that you mentioned that i remember watching something i think it was on vh1 and where they would go on kids shows and they would perform or lip sync or whatever to a song and then they would be interviewed by the host afterwards and they would you know the guy would go around and have kids ask questions and uh, you know Gene Simmons would sit there and and you know give their answers, but they were they were doing it in front of children. Sure. So that make you know that makes sense that they that I can see them doing. And of course, you know uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. They, there's not a product they won't sell. <laughs> so the fact that they want to come out with an action figure is is you know, pretty right right to right to the point. Now I think it probably hurt the brand there for a while because they they lost some street credibility as being this rough, tough, scary hard rock band because they became uh to the point where i think more kids were starting to get to their shows than than the uh you know the typical crowd that might go to them but there there were a few years where you know kiss kind of ruled daddy what's that smell <laughs> yeah right yeah. exactly all right so uh, the final one that that i'm going to mention i'm going to you know turn it back over to you if you have anything see if you remember this one milky the marvelous milk and cow no. Do you don't remember Milky? I don't. All right, so Milky was this this bizarre toy, and I, I remember seeing it, and it might have been over at Mrs. Hershey's house, where it's a stationary cow. You would you would put this this white liquid into it, and then you, it had udders, and you could actually milk the cow. Okay. I think they pulled it off the market because kids probably were drinking what was coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but, yeah, because yeah, I, I remember it, and I went back looking for it, and I think they said they only kept it out there for like six months or something like that, and okay. they, they kind of had to like recall it. You can go back out there, and you can see that there's still some commercials on YouTube for, for Milky. Uh, an example of where whoever the marketing executive was – uh, they weren't thinking clearly. Okay. Because <laughs> there's no way kids weren't going to drink that. Right. Okay. So anyways, that's mine. I'll kind of turn it over to you, see if you have anything else. Um, I mean, stuff that was popular, go back to the 70s, and I don't know, maybe you would have any insight into this because it was before my, before I was really old enough to, to know toys, but the Pet Rock was huge. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember it. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure why that became so popular, but it, it was a huge seller. Something that we played with when we were small was Silly Putty. Yeah. Uh, we did like Silly Putty. It's just one of those toys. It was a, it was a putty. came in an egg. Mm-hmm. And it could do just about anything. It, you could bounce it. You could roll up in a ball and it would bounce. Mm-hmm. You could flatten it out and put it on the comic book. Sure. Uh, and it would you would pull it away and it would put an imprint on the on the putty and then you just roll it up in a ball and it goes away. It was kind of pretty pretty amazing that that you could do it. Um, but that was something that we got a lot of, a lot of time and enjoyment from mm-hmm. was, was silly putty. Uh, yeah, I guess we should mention cause Lori was, our sister was really into Barbie and Barbie was, there was a lot of Barbie stuff out in the seventies. Um, Barbie's been around since the fifties. I mean, uh, it's still going strong from what I know, but 
you know, Lori was definitely into Barbie dolls, and she, I think she still has her collection, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But she had dozens of them, and she mm-hmm. had the the uh, the the Barbie cars, and sure. I think she had a, a Barbie Winnebago or I something like that. I think she did, yeah. Uh, so that was that was something that was very popular back. Uh, Unfortunately for young. her, that was something we didn't want to play with. Sure. So, so that was one of the few things we didn't like mess with, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't care. You can yeah. have that." Usually, if a Ken doll was handed to us, <laughs> yeah. uh, something he would somehow make the jump with six million dollar <laughs> man off the balcony uh, onto the ground below. So, <laughs> right, it wasn't going to be uh, well cared for right. if it got into our hands. So, uh, yeah, um, just trying to think. Light bright was very popular mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, the Kush ball came out in the eighties. I remember, you know, my friends in high school throwing us. We started throwing them at each other in my senior year in high school because they were they were popular. Uh, See, I don't even remember that. Really, yeah. is that is you know the Kush the Kush ball is a small ball with all these long kind of hairy tentacles on it. Oh, and that would you'd, you'd throw it against the wall and it would kind of roll down the tentacles. It would, yeah, it would yeah, stick to okay. the wall and then it would slowly, but. That wasn't as much fun as whipping it at somebody's head, which sure. is what we typically did in in high school. Um, strawberry shortcake was was very very mm-hmm. popular uh, back in the day. Rainbow bright also came around. At My that Little time. Pony would have been My big. Little Pony. So uh, you know, I mentioned in the '90s it was it was Tickle Me Elmo mm-hmm. was was the uh, was kind of the the gift that everybody wanted to have in in the '90s. Um, but really, I for me as I got older. It became more about, like I said, the technology. So it went from, I remember uh, getting that Atari and then playing uh, who was to become my brother-in-law, but at the time it was my girlfriend's brother, Colin. He had a Nintendo gaming system. And I just remember how much fun I had. It was like, wow. That was, you know, to go from an Atari to a Nintendo was, was really like taking 10 steps forward. Because, uh, and the games were a lot of fun. Um, so that was, and then after Nintendo, uh, for one year, I got a Sega Genesis for Christmas the one year. This was in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like the gaming systems kept getting better and better. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of usage out of the uh, out of the Sega Genesis. So that was, as I got older, those were kind of the, you know, if you would say they were toys, but that's the stuff that I started to gravitate towards Um because when we stopped playing outside, we we were definitely into the sports. So for for us, it was baseball, it was basketball, right. it was it was doing the uh, the sports related stuff. So for me, it was uh, you know if I was doing something inside later, it would probably be video games. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's good. Uh, you know, I think that um, I mean most everybody plays with some type of toy growing up, and you know whether you were you know. A Gen Xer like like Scott and I kind of grew up in the '70s, or maybe maybe the '80s were you know kind of your growing up period, or and just kind of caught the tail end of the '90s. I think when when you see toys, um, they kind of bring back fond memories, at least to do for me. Like when I was doing a little bit of my research, and, and I went online and I was looking at photos of some of the of the toys, and then I went on YouTube and I I watched some videos. Like I, I watched a video on um, I, I I don't know if he's a dealer for like toys. But he had some of the old authentic cap guns, and he was he was rolling through a, a roll of the the caps, and they were not working properly. Of course, <laughs> at one point he said he has to turn the camera off to, so that he can get it set. Shows you how temperamental they were. Sure. But as he was he was doing it, and of course you know it was only firing a third of the time. 
But when it fired, it's like I got excited. And it's like I could almost smell the, uh, the that unique kind of uh, smoky smell that you would get from mm-hmm. those caps. So it, you know, it took me right back just seeing them and, you know, kind of reminiscing about, you know, throwing the $6 million man off the roof. Well, you know, that's that kind of brings back fond memories of being a little kid. Yeah, and I think for us, and I know, you know, people are different. Families are different. Um, like our grandpa, every year for a number of years, he used to buy us these little uh, cars that you had to assemble. Yeah. These little car kits. And they were all well and good, but a lot of times, like for me as as a kid, I I wanted to play with it. You know, the, the idea of a model car set was to put it together and then put it up on a shelf. Right. So you can look at it and say, hey, look what I put together. But I didn't, I just never did well with that because I wanted to play with it. I wanted to push it. I wanted to, you know, throw it, you know, push, drive it into the wall kind of thing. I wanted, I wanted to see what it could do instead of just putting it up somewhere to admire. And, uh, I'm not, you know, like I said, people are different and I'm, and I'm, but I'm glad that for us, you know, our toys got used. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad to say that for, for, you know, my kids growing up when we did get them toys, they, they definitely enjoyed, it was, it was neat to watch, you know, my boys and, and playing with trucks or watching my daughter, Allie playing with her Barbies, you know, that kind of, although she typically would just pull Barbie's head off, but mm-hmm. she, she did, she, she did. cut their hair too. She would remember. She did that. Yeah. And, and she was fascinated with dressing them, like changing the clothes on them or taking the clothes off and not putting any clothes back mm-hmm. on. Anyway, um, but it was the, but they did get to play with stuff and use their imagination. I think that's what ties um, my kids in with how we grew up was the fact that you know we we went to, would go out there uh, whether I play with my Nerf football if nobody was around I would toss it up to myself and I would pretend I was Merrill Reese calling an Eagles game mm-hmm. and I'm pretending I'm Ron Jaworski throwing to Mike Quick or Harold Carmichael or or uh, handing off to Wilbur Montgomery or, or something, you know, somebody like that where, and I'm, and I'm, but I'm using my imagination and that's to this day, uh, you know, when it comes to sporting events, because of the imagination part of it, I can listen to a Phillies game on the radio from inning one all the way through. Absolutely. And I have a hard time doing that on TV. Like I'll find myself drifting away, losing focus or losing attention to the game. But if I'm driving and the game is on the radio I've got that game on, and I'm fascinated. Not, you know, of course, uh, Scott Fransky does a Phillies broadcast on the radio here for uh, for the Phillies, and I think he's you know, one of the best, if not the best, radio play-by-play announcer in, in baseball. But uh, just, I think it's that imagination part that we had growing up. You, you, my brain is going with the game as I'm listening to it on the radio, and I think that ties into the game stuff that we play with our toys. Mm-hmm. And I think we were very fortunate as Gen Xers because. We, we grew up in a kind of a golden age, especially in the 70s, with toys, where toys were heavily marketed towards us. I think the toys were interesting. They, they probably were better made than later on when they became a lot more plastic and kind of cheap. You know, the Tonka toys that you talk about, I remember eventually 
like when you with your kids, they became plastic. Sure. And so, but we had the old fashioned toys, much like Milky the cow, that was probably going to cause a lawsuit or two. But you know, that's that's kind of what it was all about. Being back in the seventies, is you know having these things that you know were were. Definitely, like like I said, it was a golden age to be using toys. Well, I think that's a good point because the 60s really introduced the beginning of marketing TV commercials to children. Because up to that point, and, and you talked about it with the um, cartoons, with the cartoons, yeah. you know, advertisers finally recognized that, yeah, these children don't have the money to buy these things, but their parents do. Sure. So if, if you can get the kid on board with whether it's cereal or toys, um, you know, the kids can influence the parents into buying the toys for the kids. So by the time you and I come around in the seventies, now, now you have give these marketers 10 years. Now they're competing. These companies have to compete against each other because now not only are, are they marketing toys to kids on TV, but now there's multiple items. Now, now the toys yeah. have to get better. You know, you, you've got to be more innovative. You've got to have better technology or you've, you know, you've got to step your game up and go from a, a wind-up doll to a Teddy Ruxpin. You know that that type of uh, advancements where you know now now the market's getting tougher, so you better have good good stuff that's coming out, or or at least make it creative or inventive. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for our listeners out there, hopefully this sparks some memories from some of your favorite toys that you had. You know. You know, maybe you did what I did and destroyed a Stretch Armstrong doll by <laughs> sticking a pole right through his gut. Um, but corn, corn syrup. Well, corn syrup. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. But so, uh, you know, hopefully it's brought back some good memories. You know, it did for me just kind of like doing the exercise. I I did kind of, I think it had a similar uh, thought that you had where, man, I can't believe our parents let us do what, sure. we, what we did. And I'm kind of glad that they did. We didn't even talk about lawn darts, <laughs> which we had. <laughs> which, which we did. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah. So, you know, hopefully this was enjoyable for everybody. And so now uh, with Scott, you know, uh, what do you want to talk about for the next episode? Well, um, you know, it's funny that you actually brought his name up uh, earlier in this episode okay. when you're talking about G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. Ah. I thought it would be great to kind of do an entertainer spotlight again like we did with Tom Hanks. Okay. And I would really like for us next time to talk about the great Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. All right. Uh, one of one of our favorite uh, entertainers of our lifetime, really. Uh, and uh, especially when we were younger, uh, Eddie Murphy was the hottest thing going in uh, show business uh, during his time. Mm-hmm. So, um, the man who single-handedly kept Saturday Night Live on the air um, and then went on to movies and did blockbuster movies. Biggest star of the 1980s, or at least one of them. So I like to talk about Eddie. Okay. Yeah, Sounds talk good. About Eddie Murphy I'm, I'm always, week, always so. interested in talking about Eddie Murphy. All right. Well, you know, thanks, Sean, for uh, for kind of bringing back some good memories. I, I think sometimes we get away from the stuff that we that – we, we, the conversations from when we were really young. Yeah. And this this does this takes me back to you don't really think back to when you're six or seven right yeah you know, we always want to talk about because we weren't into music at that time and not really into movies but you know we were into cartoons and we were into toys so sure um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because that did bring back some really good memories so hopefully you were able to keep up and enjoy as well and uh, yeah next week we're going to talk Eddie Murphy. <laughs> And we really appreciate you listening and tuning in to Gen X Playback. 
for the 2023 year. So hopefully uh, you'll be with us and tell a friend that we uh, that we are going to be talking about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, Eddie Murphy next time. Thanks for listening to Gen X Playback. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. And we will talk to you next time right here on Gen X Playback. Thanks. See you.